I want to invite you to go ahead and turn to your, in your Bibles to Psalm 127. As, as I've just prayed, we're going to be talking about anxiety this morning, about fear, because the Psalms talk about it. We're in a Psalm series that we've been in for a few months now, and one of the things we say almost every week is that we love the Psalms partly because they get us. Because in the range of them, there's 150 of them, and over the course of those 150, everything gets talked about. All of the, the range of human emotions and experience shows up there. So we find in the Psalms lots of words to use to describe ourselves and lots of guidance for what we're actually dealing with. And if it's true, like we've been saying, that the Psalms capture the wide range of human experience, then of course we would expect the Psalms to address anxiety. Because maybe there's nothing more fundamentally human than to know stress. Maybe it's even safe to say that it's uniquely human. The kind of anxiety that I have in mind anyway is uniquely human. I've never been able to empathize completely with what it's like to be a dog or a cat or a cow or a horse. So I probably shouldn't speak further than what my own experience will allow me to. But I've never thought of those animals or other animals like them as having the ability to imagine futures other than, than... than what they've ever experienced. Like to think and to long, to desire from their hearts for something that may or may not be. You look at the, at the animal kingdom, apart from humans, operating by instinct. They do what they're made to do. They just react. Humans have the ability to think, to dream, to imagine possible futures. But humans are no more powerful, really, in the grand scheme of things. No more able to secure those futures, they imagine, than, than a horse would be, or a dog, or a cat, or a cockroach. Maybe a little more capable than a cockroach. But you get my point, right? In the grand scheme of things, those differences are minuscule. So we live in this kind of no-man's land, where we, we, we can imagine great things that we really want, but... We also know in our clearer moments, our saner moments, that we don't have the power to deliver the futures that we want. Annie Dillard talks about the fact that humans actually have to walk around with their best defenses, their most like, rigid and strong parts hidden behind mashes, mush, mushy, soft, exposed, vulnerable parts of their body. And she talks about looking at beetles and how you know, they've got their casing on the outside. At least they walk around with some protection. You know, or like a turtle gets a shell that it can bring his head back into when when he needs to but humans walk around with all their vulnerable parts exposed we know that that's the way we're made we're weak we're vulnerable but we have these desires for for something more and that's where anxiety is born it's a uniquely human problem the kind of anxiety i have in mind and the psalms gets it the psalms have Many, many references that help us know what to do with our anxiety, how to treat it, how to live with it, how to, how to relate to God in it. And the next two psalms we're going to do are especially for that. We're choosing two psalms from a group of psalms known as the Songs of Ascent, probably because they were songs that were often sung by people who were going up to Jerusalem for some sort of special feast. They would be called to Jerusalem from all the different parts of Israel, and they thought of it as going up. To Jerusalem, These songs would have been sung by the masses as they came to worship together in that holy city. 
We're going to look at Psalm 127 today and then next week at Psalm 131. Both of them aimed in different ways at helping us to, to bring God into the things that stress us out. And what we look at in Psalm 127 is the importance of wisdom for fighting fear. Psalm 127 is a wisdom psalm. We've looked at several wisdom psalms uh, throughout our series. This is the last one that we're going to look at together, which I'm kind of sad about. They're probably my favorite ones. I like the wisdom psalms best. This is the last one that we'll be doing in our psalm series. Wisdom psalms are put here to help us understand the world as it is and live in the light of it. How to bring God into what's true about life in the world. The kinds of things you can observe whether you believe in God or not. How to bring Him into what all of us are dealing with whether we acknowledge him or not. And, and what we're going to see today is that fighting anxiety well begins with a healthy dose of wisdom that can carry us to a clearer view of God's promises. I want to begin by reading the whole psalm. It's not very long, but I am going to ask you to stand with me in honor of God's word while I do that. I'm going to read Psalm 127, all five verses. A song of ascents of Solomon. Unless the Lord builds the house, those who build it labor in vain. Unless the Lord watches over the city, the watchman stays awake in vain. It is in vain that you rise up early and go late to rest, eating the bread of anxious toil. For he gives to his beloved sleep. Behold, Children are a heritage from the Lord, the fruit of the womb, a reward. Like arrows in the hand of a warrior are the children of one's youth. Blessed is the man who fills his quiver with them. He shall not be put to shame when he speaks to his enemies in the gate. This is the word of the Lord. You can be seated. Here's how I want to break this down this morning. I want to, I want to point you from this psalm to two reasons we have to worry. Two common causes or sources of of anxiety for all of us. One path to rest in the midst of our anxieties. And then three encouragements for parents. I'm going to try to tie those last couple of verses into the, the first couple of points that are about anxiety in general and apply them to one very specific and common source of anxiety, namely children. No offense, kids. Love you guys. Y'all are awesome. You stress us out, though. <laughs> I want to start with two reasons to worry. From the, first couple of, from, the, from the first verse in particular, the psalm opens with these two powerful parallel statements or images for us that capture something about our experience. Same idea comes out in both of them. It just comes out in a couple of different shades. And the point of it, the idea that comes out in these images, I'm just going to tell you what it is. The point of these images are that, is that everything that matters in our lives depends on God. Everything. Depends on God's action, not our actions. Everything that matters in our lives depends on Him. But the two images that He uses to make this point bring out two common reasons for worry that all of us have experienced. So I want, I want to focus in on these two reasons. I want, to, I want to just say up front, I understand anxiety is complicated. That it, and I don't mean to, to reduce all anxieties to the kinds of anxiety that's brought to the surface in this text. I'm only speaking about what's going on here in this text. But this text brings out a couple of common sources that I think all of us struggle with. And here's, here's the way one commentator described them. The drive to create 
and the drive to conserve. A desire to make something meaningful, lasting of yourself. And the desire to protect what you have already. Most of us probably gravitate toward one or the other of these, of these drives towards creation, driven to work, to build, to, to be something significant, or towards protection, looking for, for guards, for, for, for things to, to, to hedge in what really matters to us, to hold on to it so we don't lose it. But both of us are going to deal with all of these at one time or another. I just want to make sure those two images are clear for you in, in, in what he said here. So he refers to those who build a house. And I think for house, you can, just re- you can just replace whatever makes sense for you. Substitute that paper you're writing. That exam you're working on that's going to be 75% of your grade. Those kids that you're trying to raise who you, for all your attention to them, can't seem to fully understand. The surgery that you've got to perform tomorrow that you've never tried before. But the relationship that you're seeking or trying to strengthen. Go ahead and take house Erase it, fill in that blank with what makes sense for you. But think of yourself as a person who's trying to build something that matters. All of us are. We want lives that count. We want to make a mark. We don't want our work to be in vain. And that's often what drives stress in us. The desire to build life stresses us out. The deadlines that are hanging over our heads, more assignments, more projects. We're all driven to excel. We we all stress over, what if I don't meet that deadline? Or what if my experiments show useless results? Or what if my kids are sociopathic or at least appear that way to other parents or teachers? What if my sermons don't make sense to anybody or put everybody to sleep or just aren't likable? What if I fail? We're stressed out over what we're trying to build. Psalmist knows that. That's why he says, unless the Lord builds the house, your labor is in vain. More on that in a minute. We don't just worry about what we're building. We also worry about what we like, what we already have, but really want to hold on to. Remember Andy Dillard's image. Like we get, when in our moments of clarity, that all our vulnerable stuff is exposed to the world. And what's true about our bodies in general where all the soft parts that are vulnerable to, uh, to, to injury are all, all out there, hanging out there, waiting on, on injury to come along, is just a good metaphor for everything else about our life. The, the, the stuff that matters to us, we know we can't fully protect. But we want to, and we try to, and that stresses us out. So he says, unless the watchman, unless the Lord watches over the city, rather, the watchman stays awake in vain. So for city, just scrub it out and fill in that blank. Whatever makes sense for you. What are you trying to protect? Maybe you live like that watchman whose job is to keep his eyes open all night for danger, never resting, never sleeping. Maybe it's your health or the health of your family. Maybe it's a business that you built. I don't know. Whatever the reason, all of us sometimes, some of us much of the time, are preoccupied by all the painful things that could happen to us or to those we care about. So whatever the occasion, whatever it may look like for you, when we worry, what you need to know now to set up what we're going to say here in a minute. When we worry about creation or conservation, about what we want to build from our lives or protect in our lives, all of our stress can be traced back over those issues, can be traced to one common and faulty assumption. 
whether my life, my future, stands or falls, depends on me. I am right now hanging in the balance. To switch metaphors a little bit, what comes next rests on my shoulders. And what God is telling you in his word this morning is, that's not true. That's not true. Unless the Lord builds the house, unless he makes something meaningful out of your life, your labor's in vain. And unless the Lord watches over the city, unless he protects what you love, you're watching in vain. That sets us up for what I, the meat of what I want to say this morning from this psalm. It's really not just about exposing the sources of our stress. It's more about what to do with your stress, your anxiety, over what you're trying to build of your life or protect in your life. And I want to think of this as one path that you walk and two steps on that path. One path that's coherent and cohesive, laid out for us in these first couple of verses of this psalm. What to do when you're experiencing that stress over what you want to build from your life or what you want to protect in your life. You need to walk a path here, and it's got two steps. One before the other. Because this is a wisdom psalm, the first, path is a, is a step, the first step on that path is a step of wisdom. Something you can just notice from careful observation of the world. Wisdom shows that our stress is useless, pointless, vain. And seeing what wisdom tells us prepares us for the second step, where the gospel tells us that our stress is unnecessary because God gives his beloved sleep. And here's the path, one path. Step one, all your stress is useless. It's vain and pointless. It won't accomplish anything. Step two, that wisdom prepares us for, All your stress is unnecessary because God gives to his beloved sleep. I want to to unpack that. I know know it probably isn't landing yet. Let Let me unpack this a little bit, starting with what wisdom tells us from this psalm about our anxiety over what we want to build from our lives or what we want to protect in our lives. First thing is that wisdom tells us it's useless to stress over these things. Remember what I said a minute ago. Stress comes often from believing that what we want to do or what we want to protect depends on just a little bit more. Just a little bit more will get me there. But we are giving ourselves way too much credit when we're anxious for those reasons. Way too much credit. It's as if we're, it's as if we're straining. We, we think of ourselves in our stress as if we could just do a little bit more, we would get there and we'd be, and we'd be where we want. And that's us imagining that, that really we're straining now against something, get, get that extra 10 pounds up on the bench press. We're almost there, it's just 10 more pounds, I can get there. Rather than realizing we're, we're a lot more like my, my 14-month-old son, I think that's how old he is now, 14-month-old son trying to pull open one of his drawers when I'm standing in front of it. So he's really into drawers right now. He walks around our house just looking for things to open and explore, including these, this, this bank of drawers that we have in our kitchen that, that, that have some dangerous things in there. So we're constantly redirecting him. But sometimes you get tired of doing that over and over, and I'll just go stand in front of them. And I just get my, my leg right up next to them. And he hasn't put together yet that my leg prevents the opening of the drawers. So he grabs a drawer and he just strains on it and sometimes cries over it. 
He's just full of his little infant stress. Are we getting that drawer open? It just came open a minute ago. Why won't it open this time? And he doesn't realize his stress is useless. He doesn't realize that there's no moving that drawer because to do that, he'd have to move me and he's not big enough. So in the picture of this psalm is that we're in Benji's position of, of, of pulling at something that as if just a little bit more effort would get it done when it's useless because it's way too big for us. We're just wasting our time and our effort. Verse 2 says, It is vain that he rise up early and go to bed late, eating the bread of anxious toil. I think we need to to be careful here. There's a way to misread this verse. There's a way to read it as if it's saying hard work doesn't matter. As if it's saying, don't try hard. You can't do anything anyway. So que sera, sera, you know, just live and let live. And what will be, will be. Actually, the whole Bible speaks against that consistently in all sorts of places, especially in the Proverbs. If you just read through the Proverbs... You'll find proverb after proverb telling you how important it is to work hard. It's a way of honoring God who gave you the ability to work hard and who calls you to do good things in his name. Hard work is important. It's not just okay. It's actually required for faithfulness to God. So what, what this psalm is pointing to is not that it's no, there's no point in working hard, but that's useless or vain. What's vain is anxious toil. Did you see that? That's the kind of toil that's vain. When you eat the bread of anxious toil, when you're getting up early and staying up late because you think that those extra couple hours are the difference between a life that matters and one that doesn't, between a life that's safe and one that isn't. It's when you're driven by anxiety in your work that you're just spinning your wheels and wasting your time. That's what it's saying. So the thing about wisdom in the Bible is that you need to know when to use it. Part of the, what, 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 what wisdom is, is, is having the right word for the right time for the right person. Things that, that can't be applied in every situation. So this verse right here is not one you would say to a sloth. I mean a slothful person, not the actual animal sloth. But the Proverbs is full of lots of funny language about sloths, uh, about people who don't work hard. It's, really, it's one of my favorite themes in the Proverbs. The sloth is somebody who's, who's actually just not honoring God with the resources God has put in their, in, into their life. And they're actually just slacking off, expecting other people to pick up their slacks. That's not loving other people either. It's not honoring God. It's not honoring others. Sloth is not okay. You wouldn't want this verse to be read to a sloth and, and have it justify their, their decision not to, not to work hard. This is a verse that you need to read to someone. That wisdom says, apply this one to the person who's driven to a fault. The person who thinks a lot about their future and cares deeply about its shape. The person who's going to work hard no matter what. See, that person needs to know that the difference between success and failure, a meaningful life or a lost life, doesn't depend on whether or not he or she did their job well enough. They need to know that what matters is God. So you need this message, friend, when you have done everything you know to do, you haven't cut any corners, you haven't held anything back, you followed the path of wisdom, you've been faithful where you're responsible to be, and you still, at the end of the day, don't know if it's enough. You still feel vulnerable. At that time, in that moment, what you need is a reminder that you are vulnerable. And that that's okay. 
because God isn't, and he's yours. I've got this verse, uh, the first verse of this psalm, written, scrawled out in my unreadable handwriting on a sticky note and pasted underneath my computer screen in my office. Because about a year ago, I really needed it. This psalm has been so encouraging to me for the last year and a half, probably. When I, I don't remember what it was even that caused me to need this. There was just a time when it spoke to me and connected. And I don't know why, but I, th- I think I was just feeling the vulnerability of you know, our work together in our church. This church is precious to me. I'm just going to apply this to myself and my work, which is, involves you guys and, and what we're doing together. Our church is precious to me. Our teaching ministry is precious to me. And I, I'm not over-dramatizing this. I have no memory in seven years of ever preaching a sermon that I thought was ready to go, was worthy of the text or worthy of you guys. Not once. Now, they're not all as half-baked as this one, but, but they, they never feel ready to go. Our teaching is precious and it's not good enough. Our people and all their needs are precious to me. And we spend long and hard hours preparing for counseling sessions. We write and rewrite emails to people. And we can do that over and over and still not be able to control how something's going to land or whether somebody will get the help that they need. Our culture as a church is precious to me and I know to, to all of us. A culture where we pursue one another for spiritual encouragement as just a way of life, where we're gracious to one another when we sin, where we protect each other's reputations, where we stay unified around the gospel, where we encourage one another to be active in ministry around the city wherever God has given us opportunity. But a culture is always a work in progress. It's never where you want it to be. It's never where it could be. It's always becoming. And sometimes... Sometimes I carry the stress of what might be right here, in these muscles, right here, on my shoulders. And what I need to be able to do is look at my screen where I'm typing a sermon that's not finished and isn't going to be good enough. Or writing or rewriting an email that may not land well. And remember, unless the Lord builds the house, they labor in vain who build it. Unless the Lord protects this city All our watching is vain. So look to him. Lean on him. All or nothing. That's what wisdom teaches us. Stop stressing because it's pointless. What you want, you're never going to be able to provide or accomplish anyway. So give it up. It only hurts you. Wisdom is encouraging, sort of. It's at least clarifying. And this is wisdom you don't need the Bible to get to, actually. This week I saw a news article about, uh, about the sale of some sort of little slip of paper. I wonder if anybody else saw this. That on, on which Einstein had written a theory of happiness in place of a tip because he was short on cash. He was eating in a restaurant, and he didn't have any cash to tip the guy. And he's like, I'm famous. This will be worth more than a tip. That's what he said. He wrote out a one-sentence theory of happiness and gave it to his server. And it sold this week, 15 years later, for $1.3 million. So Einstein wasn't wrong. A little bit arrogant of him, but he was actually right. <laughs> he was right in this case. 
Uh, and here's what Einstein says. His theory of happiness sounds a lot like what Psalm 127 is pointing to. He says that a calm and modest life brings more happiness than the pursuit of success combined with constant restlessness. That's pretty good. A calm and modest life brings more happiness than the pursuit of success combined with restlessness. What he's saying is, unless, basically what he's saying is, is, is the built-in principle of this, unless the Lord builds the house, those who labor, labor in vain. It's vain to get up early and to stay up late and to eat the bread of anxious toil. So just lighten up a little bit and be happy. So there's wisdom here that even Einstein, an, un, an unbeliever, can recognize. But friends, wisdom is not enough. Wisdom is not enough. It's a starting place. It's one step on this path, this one path to rest. But it isn't enough. We need more. Because Einstein's theory of happiness sounds great in theory, but is a lot harder to pull off in practice. I mean, why should I stay calm? Why should I live modestly and accept it? How can I attain that kind of that kind of, of strength aside from circumstance? What the gospel speaks into this, this terrain that's now prepared for us, this field that's been plowed up for us by wisdom. The seed that the gospel plants there is that not only is our stress over our lives, our futures, the, what, what we want for ourselves, useless, it's also unnecessary. Telling me that it's useless doesn't stop me from worrying, to be honest. What I need to know is that Yes, I can't do anything to accomplish the future I want. Yes, God can. And, and yes, God is good to me. What I need to know is that I can trust him with what I can't do on my own. How can I know that? Because the Bible, this psalm, the Bible in general doesn't promise that I can hold on to what I love and fear losing. It doesn't promise that what I'm trying to build with my life will stand. It hasn't promised me my vision of my future, but it has promised me that God is good to me. And there is no better confirmation of that promise than the cross of Jesus, his son. I think the cross and Jesus' ministry, what he offers to us is wonderfully pictured, foreshadowed in my favorite line in this psalm. It's in verse 2. It's all vain that you rise up early and go to late to rest and eat the bread of anxious toil. And the reason it's vain, the reason you shouldn't worry is not just case or asarah. It's not something Einstein could have given you. There's one reason you shouldn't worry, and that is God gives his beloved sleep as his gift. It reminds me of what Jesus said when he described his ministry and invited people to embrace him. Come, all who are weary and heavy laden, stressed, rising early and staying up late, weighed down by anxious toil, come to me and I will give you rest. The promise of the gospel is that God has freed us from the demand that we make something meaningful out of our lives, that we establish some sort of righteousness, some sort of worthiness on our own. He instead has given us Jesus' righteousness as a gift. The God who made you has a right to expect you to live a worthy life. 
Because of your sin, friend, you have already failed to live that worthy life. And you're trying to make up for it now by your anxious toil. That's what you're trying to do. And in the cross of Jesus, we have a promise that you don't have to do that work anymore. Jesus' work is enough. You get to rest from yours. And, and I think this picture of sleep is a great way to capture what faith is. It is a laying down of myself and all of my resources and a trusting that God will work when I'm not. In graduate school especially, so much less so lately, but especially in grad school, I used to think about sleep as a reward. I knew, I knew I have a certain amount of work to do, a fixed amount of work, and I don't know how long it's going to take me. And so I'll sleep with whatever time I have left over once I'm done. That was how I reasoned it out. Once I've done enough quality work, then I'll sleep in the balance. I thought of sleep as a reward. This text tells us to think about sleep as a gift from a father to a beloved child. And it's both literal promise. You can sleep at night because you know he watches over you. And a great metaphor for what faith always is. I'm going to accept my vulnerability and my weakness. I'm going to shut down my security system and I'm going to trust that God works while I rest. Now, here's what I want to do in five minutes. I want to offer three encouragements for parents from this message to chew on for a little bit. Because I think that's what the psalm does in these last three verses. I think the main point of the psalm is in the first two verses, and that's why I spent almost all of our time there by design. That's the message of this wisdom psalm for you. But I don't think it's accidental that he goes to parenting and to children in the last three verses. I don't think it's a separate psalm, like another verse just stuck onto it about a new topic. I think he knew that one of the most constant sources of stress is is children, parents who want their kids to do well in life. They want to be faithful to their responsibilities. Kids can be one of the most common sources of anxiety in parents, they can be one of the most common victims of anxiety in parents as well. And these verses point us to a true and balanced view of the kids that God has given us and how to parent them in a way that honors God and serves them well. It shows us, I think, how to parent and hold on to your metaphorical sleep, even if you may lose some literal sleep. I want to just give you three encouragements, let you chew on them, talk to your friends about them. Encouragement number one. Parents, remember that your kids are a heritage from the Lord, so their lives are about Him and not about you. That's verse 3. Children are a heritage from the Lord. He is their source. He, you are a steward of something that comes from Him and is ultimately about Him. So that means we've got to stop stressing over whether our kids will make a good statement about who we are. Trying to use our kids' lives as a way to justify our own. We are stewards of something that belongs to God, that's aimed at God, that's precious to God. And that's what we need to know when we're stressed out about building a house that will last. Sometimes the, the, the house that we're building is actually our, our house, our family. And when we're stressed about that, we need to remember they are his kids, not ours. Number two, our kids are arrows to be shot out not vulnerable treasures to be protected. 
Of course we need to protect our children. The Bible calls us to do that. We're responsible under God to do that. But I think it's interesting that the image we have here are kids as arrows in the hand of a warrior. And the man who's blessed is a man who's got a quiver full of arrows to shoot out into the world. Now, in the Psalms, there's lots of images. You can interpret them in lots of different ways. And you have to be careful with that. So I want to encourage you to take this with a little bit of a grain of salt. But here's my take on, on at least something of what's going on in that image. I don't think it's coincidental that he starts the psalm by warning us against thinking that the, the success, the protection of the city depends on the watchman's abilities because a lot of times that's how we parent. There's so many threats out there and it can steal our sleep just thinking about all the ways our kids could be hurt by what is out there. And that changes phase to phase. With each new developmental stage, they are faced with new dangers and our ability to protect them grows weaker and weaker. And so we stress about our kids. He's just told us that unless the Lord watches over the city, the watchman stays awake in vain. I think now, at least implicitly, at least in this image, what's buried in here is a sense that not only is it not your job to protect your kids, which you can't do, but they were never meant to be sheltered by you forever anyway. The goal for your kids was always to be shot out on God's terms, on his mission, to be prepared for deployment in his world. So we have to be careful how much stress from our wanting to watch and guard and protect we may impose on our kids and, and ultimately like, how much that may distract us from the reason God gave them to us in the first place. Here's the third one. Third encouragement in our parenting is to remember the main point of this psalm. I'm just going to go right back to it. We are desperate. We can do nothing important that God doesn't do for us. And raising our kids is perhaps the most obvious, the most fantastic, the most clear and undeniable example of that. What we want most for our children is something we cannot do for them. Recently, uh, Lindsay and I heard a sermon preached on this psalm about parenting, a very fine sermon, where the preacher said something like, he compared, he compared uh, the, the change we want in our kids, the kind of people we want them to become, to, uh, to what it's like to bend metal. Right? If we try to impose our view on our kids, what we want most, if we try to force that on them, and two things could happen. We'll either bend it like with, with metal. You can bend it, and when you let go, boing, it just jumps right back out into its normal place because all you had was some sort of external constraint on it that was only there as long as you kept holding it there. Or in our bending of them, we could snap them in two. Metal bent too hard can just break. And if what you want to do is shape metal, you first got to get it hot in the middle. You got to get it warm. And then it becomes movable. And what this preacher, how he applied that, that analogy is that what we want most for our kids is going to depend on heart change in them that, that we will never be able to provide them. It's going to depend on God's spirit moving in their hearts so that they love what he loves. And only then can we do the work of shaping that God has called us to do. Unless the Lord builds the house, unless the Lord changes the heart, then the, the, the worker builds in vain. The watchman watches in vain. So remember from this psalm, parents, to pray. 
to pray and to accept the gift of sleep whenever you can grab it. Father, we pray to you now that you would protect us from our foolish anxiety and give us peace and rest that comes from your hand. I pray that you would help this psalm to guide us and shape us so that we take on its instincts as our own. I pray that you would give rest to the weary in this room right now. For Jesus' sake, amen.